the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today as we continue our study in the book of 1 Samuel, Saul drops all pretense and openly hunts David in order to kill him. We'll pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 10. Once again, that's 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 10. For Samuel chapter 19. Verse 10, And Saul sought to smite David even to the wall with a javelin. It means he looked for an opportunity to spear David. But David slipped away out of Saul's presence. So David had seen that movie once before, and he was not playing his part in it this time. And, and the idea, that the way the chronology works here in the Hebrew, is, is the idea that Saul actually doesn't get a shot off. He actually doesn't take a swipe at David. David just starts seeing where this is going, that Saul's kind of eyeballing him, and he's like, ah, I think that's all the music I got for tonight, and he's out. And what happens is, is the idea, it's not that Saul slams the spear trying to hit David, but that this is his reaction when David leaves. The idea is that he is so angry when David leaves, he just slams his spear into the wall, and he says, you think you're going to get out of here, David? Uh Uh-uh. So David fled and escaped that night, but look at what Saul says in verse 11. It says, but Saul also sent messengers to David's house to watch him and to slay him in the morning. I've heard about going postal, but I've never seen messengers do this to me. The word messenger here means an informer, someone who would normally do surveillance, but in this case, they're going to be assassins. They're sent there to kill David when he comes out of his house in the morning. And so it says that Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, if you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you'll be dead. You'll be slain. So Michael somehow, she either notices these guys watching, or maybe she just knew her dad well enough to know, they're not here to keep an eye on you, David. They're here to kill you. Whatever the thing was, she knew if her dad was willing to break his oath to the Lord to not kill David, that he would not stop there. So When she sees Saul's men keeping watch, she tells David, if you want to live to see tomorrow, you need to get out of here tonight. And so, verse 12, Michael let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. And then Michael took an image, a teraphim. These are household idols, usually family heirlooms that the Canaanites passed down. She took one of these family heirlooms, these family gods, and laid it in the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair for his bolster, for his pillow, and then covered it with a, a cloth, a bed sheet. This is kind of our first introduction to Michael the person. We've heard about her before, that her and David had a close friendship, and then, of course, they get married. But here we meet her for the first time in Scripture actually doing anything. And, and while there is much to criticize about Michael's behavior 
in the big story, um, she sides with what's right here instead of siding with her father. Uh, her priorities are with her husband, even though she loves her father. And it is a very manipulative thing that people say, well, if you really loved me, you would do this. Don't ever listen to someone who tells you that, they, that you don't care or you don't love them because you choose to put the Lord in biblical priorities first. Don't ever listen to that. That is a painful lie from the enemy to hear, and I know it hurts, but don't listen to it. Now, David, he's smart enough to listen to his wife's advice. I know many husbands who refuse to listen to their wife's advice. Listen, God created Eve because it wasn't good for Adam to be alone, right? That's what the Lord says. That wasn't just to solve Adam's loneliness problem. The Bible calls her a helpmeet. It means a helper who comes from the opposite direction, a teammate who comes from the opposite direction. Ignoring the help that God sends you does not make you strong. It doesn't make you a good leader. In fact, it makes you unwise. So my encouragement to you is don't be a foolish husband. Take what your wife says to the Lord. Every husband should be praying about anything their wife brings up to them. And every wife should feel comfortable bringing something to her husband if she has a concern. I don't ever want Beverly to feel like she can't talk to me about something or I might react in a bad way or I might not listen or I might not take it seriously. Every wife should sense that her husband cares enough about her and believes that they have been brought together for a purpose that she, he would, he should take, she should feel comfortable bringing the concerns of her heart to him. Now, while Michael is in the right here, what we see next gives us a glimpse into some of her flaws. Verse 13, to cover up David escaping, she takes, and then it tells us, the family idol. Now, I can't imagine David having a family idol, or if his family had one, I can't imagine David ever taking one. However, we already know later on that Saul has no problem going to consult witches, right? He consults the witch of Endor. So it's not a stretch to see that Saul, for whatever reason, may have thought it was okay to have this family idol. And then when Michael got married, maybe gave it to her. Whatever Michael's reason is for having this idol, the Lord strictly forbids them in Israel. Maybe she saw it just as a piece of art, like a family art piece or whatever. Whatever the case may be, the Lord forbid it in every way. So whether Michael's an idol worshiper or just going with family tradition, this thing has no business being in the house. And so we do see that there, there is a spiritual flaw here. Now, she puts this thing in the bed to make, pretend like it's David. And so when Saul, verse 14, sent messengers to take, to arrest, to seize David, she says, well, he's sick. And then, of course, she shows him, look, he's in the bed, he's sick. And so Saul sent the messengers again to see David, saying, bring him up to me in the bed that I may slay him. In other words, Saul doesn't care he's sick. If David's too sick to walk, then bring the whole bed and I'll kill him there. And when the messengers were come in, behold, check this out, not David. It's a little idol, little statue in the bed with a pillow of goat's hair for his pillow, his bolster. And so Saul brings Michael in. She comes with the messengers. And Saul says unto Michael, why have you deceived me so and sent away mine enemy that he has escaped? When the truth is known, Saul is incredulous that his daughter would choose her husband over him. He's incredulous. And yet, what does the Bible say when someone gets married? Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother. And surely that 
applies to the woman as well. And cleave to her husband. Don't be that person that demands that others put you above everything else, even the Lord. Saul will constantly, constantly, all throughout, all throughout his life, be surprised that godly people do the right thing instead of side with him. He felt that way with Samuel. He feels that way with Jonathan. He feels that way with Michael. And it's going to happen over and over and over again with people who choose the Lord over him. And he's shocked every time. And it ruins all of his most meaningful relationships until Saul is a very lonely man. The only person he can go consult is some witch that he's banished to try to find answers. You will live and die a very lonely person if you demand that others put you above everyone and everything else. Please don't do that. Now, Michael's response is equally not good. Michael answered Saul, well, he said to me, let me go, for why should I kill you? Rather than speak hard truths to her father like Jonathan did, Michael accuses David of threatening to harm her. I had to let him go, Dad. He threatened to kill me. I'm not disloyal to you. He threatened to kill me if I didn't let him go. And this lie will become the first piece of evidence that Saul uses to turn many of his leaders against David. He threatened my daughter. He wants my kingdom. He is not our friend. He is our enemy. And thus Michael shows that even though she does a right thing overall, she's got some serious spiritual issues, some serious spiritual flaws. And these flaws will follow Michael throughout the rest of her life. They will show themselves and they will follow her because she never really deals with them. And eventually it turns her into the equivalent of her father. She becomes a bitter, lonely woman. When you have an opportunity to be light, even when it puts you at risk, trying to protect yourself by shifting blame or coloring yourself in a better light is always darkness. It's never light. Let's be those who are light. Amen? Let's love others enough to tell them the truth reasonably, but tell them the truth even at risk to ourselves. So David gets away. But where does he go? Where can he go? He can't go to family. Well, the only place, he goes the only place that a wise person does go. He goes to someone who does love the Lord to find out what to do. And so in verse 18, so David fled and escaped and came to Samuel, to Ramah, that's Samuel's home. And he told him all that Saul had done to him. And so he and Samuel went and they dwelt in Naoth. And it was told Saul saying, behold, David is at Naoth in Ramah. This is the first recorded conversation that we have between Samuel and David since Samuel anointed David to be king, which is interesting to me because they may have interacted afterwards. I have no clue. But if they had not interacted at all, you would think that Samuel would have been more involved. But there's no indication either way, but this is an interesting time that they meet. And it says that David just pours his heart out to Samuel. He tells everything that Saul did. And when Samuel hears about how much farther Saul has fallen, he knows, David, we can't stay in my house. If Saul's going to break an oath to the Lord to kill you, he is not going to hesitate to kill me. And so his thought is perhaps he will listen 
to a group of prophets who stand up to him. And so they go to Naoth. The word Naoth means residence or building. Most Bible teachers, the rabbis taught that this was the place where Samuel's school of prophets was. So basically he's like, let's not stay at my house. Let's go to the Bible college, you know? Let's go to the Bible college. There's a bunch of people there who love the Lord. And let's see if together we can all convince Saul to stand down in his treatment of you. That's Samuel's thinking here. He knows there's nowhere they can run to get away from Saul because Saul's the king. But he thinks maybe if we go and we present a united front of godly men, you know, that say, Saul, this is wrong, that maybe then we can convince him to back down. Now, when Saul gets news of this, it does not deter him. He sends a squad of soldiers to arrest David, but it does not work out quite like he'd hoped. Verse 20. So Saul sent messengers to take David. Again, these are soldiers to arrest David. And when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying, so when they get to the school of prophets, when they get to the Bible college, for lack of a better term, and Samuel standing as appointed over them. So he's there. The phrase there means to stand in front as their leader. When they see him there, it says the spirit of God was upon the messengers of Saul. And then they also prophesied. And when it was told Saul, he sent other messengers, and they prophesied likewise. And then Saul sent messengers again a third time, but they prophesied also. Now, if you just read your Bible here, I'll be frank with you. I read this, and I thought, I don't want to teach this, because it's a little weird, isn't it? What is going on here? When we think of prophesying, for the most part, when we read about it in the scripture, it's just what I'm doing right now, teaching. It's sharing the word of God. Certainly it is times when you have like Elijah saying, thus saith the Lord, it's not going to rain for, you know, X amount of years. Uh, it's a time when Isaiah says, you know, thus saith the Lord, here's the word of the Lord. Certainly there are times when it means that. But most of the time in scripture, it refers to those who are teaching the word of the Lord. They are teaching God's word. So, What's weird is, we go back to the start in verse 20, these messengers come, and what they first see is they see a company of these prophets, these people that that Samuel has trained up, and they are prophesying, they're teaching. So what does that mean they're doing? Does it mean they're all just, you know, saying, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord? I mean, that sounds weird. You know, I mean, is it just a cacophony of voices, all just, you know, confusingly preaching at the same time? Who are they preaching to? Are they just all talking to nobody? That sounds weird. It seems a whole lot more likely that each of them had prepared a sermon to preach to the soldiers to show their unity in condemning Saul's arrest order. So when these guys show up, these soldiers show up, one by one by one, probably short sermons, they just begin to teach. And they say, listen, the word of the Lord is this. What Saul is telling you to do is wrong. And one by one by one, they do this with the finality of Samuel standing as the leader saying, and I am in agreement with this. That seems to be the most likely thing that's going on here to me because I cannot see any biblical way it's the other thing. So I would propose then that when the last sermon was finished, that God's spirit fell on the soldiers with such conviction that they began to share scripture too. They began to preach as well. And this happens with three different squads of soldiers. Now, if you think, well, I think you're just trying to take a weird passage and make it normal, maybe you're right. But there's one other thought I want to throw out at you, and it's this. That God in the New Testament, through the Apostle Paul, says that he has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Can you think 
I don't have to say this. I think the world has already communicated very clearly that it believes that it is useless to just get up and preach when there are problems going on around you. That you need to do something. And yet the Lord says that he has chosen the foolishness of preaching to affect lives. It's a thought. I can't think of anything that would be sillier from a world's perspective, from just a carnal, earthly perspective, than a bunch of dudes coming out and going, well, before you rest, David, we'd like to say something. And then a bunch of them just kind of preach small devotions. It sounds absurd, and yet it works. Because God takes the foolish things of the world, and he confounds the wise. He takes the weak things of the world, right, to put to shame those things that the world calls strong. And you know what? While preaching may seem like a weak way to combat evil, if God says he chooses the weak things of this world to confound the wise, then I'll take what man calls weakness over what man calls strength any day if God calls it true strength. And I'm absolutely convinced that was what Samuel was thinking too. Now, whatever happened here, the results clearly frustrate Saul. And so with a hardened heart, he strikes out for Ramah with plans to not be dissuaded from killing David by anyone's sermon or anyone's whatever. And so in verse 22, it says, Then went he, Saul, also to Ramah, and he came to the great well Setu. And he asked and he said, Where are Samuel and David? This blows me away. Setu is, it means lookout hill. So this is a place basically where you could see the whole area. So there's, this is somewhere where probably they've got scouts. Just remember, they're kind of at war with the Philistines all the time. So there's people out here just keeping an eye on the surroundings. And Saul, he's coming up to a bunch of prophets, not soldiers. He's coming up to David, who is alone and nobody's with him, aside from a bunch of prophets. And he comes up to the lookout tower and he's looking around. And he's like, where's Samuel? I know they're probably out to get me. I mean, this guy is paranoid. He is absolutely in the mindset that David is out to get him. And what's interesting is that whatever they had planned to dissuade Saul, it's not even necessary. Saul doesn't even make it to a sermon hearing or whatever these prophets were doing. Because it says, when they tell him, behold, they be at Naoth and Ramah, that he went hither, verse 23, to Naoth and Ramah, and the spirit of the Lord was upon him also before he gets there. And he went on and prophesied until he came to Naoth and Ramah. And then when he gets to the Bible college, when he gets to the school of prophets, it says that he stripped off his clothes also. So in addition to the preaching he's doing, he strips off his clothes and he prophesies before Samuel the same words that he was saying as he was on the way in like manner. And then he lay down naked all that day and all that night. Wherefore they say, saw also among the prophets. Now, these verses are pretty self-explanatory, so we'll close there. Sound good? What in the world is going on here? <laughs> it's one of those things you read and you're like, really? Okay. <laughs> Chapter 20 sounds interesting. Saul doesn't even make it to whatever the prophets had planned to dissuade him. God's spirit falls in him in such a powerful way that he starts preaching a sermon on the way. And he does so until he reaches Samuel's school. And then when he gets there, he tears off his clothes. That's what the word stripped himself means. Now remember that, you have to think Jewish again, while we would look at that and go, why are you taking off your clothes, man? People did that back then because they would be showing mourning. They would tear their clothes, take them off, 
And then they would begin to throw dust on their head as a sign of mourning or repentance. Sometimes you would do it when a horrible thing happened in your life. We lost a loved one. It's a sign of mourning, a sign of repentance. It's not an action that Saul's just like, ah, I want my clothes off, you know. He, he's showing and displaying outwardly inward mourning. The word naked doesn't mean he wasn't wearing anything. The word just actually means inadequately clothed, a sign of shame and indignity in that culture, which is why they did that when they were in mourning. It doesn't tell us the content of Saul's sermon, just that he remained unclothed, and that the words that people heard him say were so impactful that some of them said, I think Saul should be considered a prophet. Did you hear that sermon? Did you hear what he was preaching? Did you hear what he was saying? It was, wow, it was amazing. And those two things, I think, give us an indicator of what Saul probably said. That Saul remained inadequately clothed communicates his shame over his behavior. I imagine he was confessing the evils of his heart and that it was wrong to have a heart like this. And that his words were impactful to the people around him who heard it means that he likely spoke of what needed to change, of what a righteous person does when they're in this awful spiritual state. How can a guy go from wanting to murder somebody to that? How can a guy have murder in his heart in one moment and preach a powerful sermon the next? I don't think you need to look farther than your Facebook feed. Because most of us are probably very familiar with what happened with Ravi Zacharias. Yes, I did say his name. It's heartbreaking. How does a man who was used so powerfully of God, who seemed to have such an impact and probably did have an impact on a lot of people's lives, how could that be going on the same time all these awful, wicked things were going on? Well, we see it here. It happens more than you think. It's why men and women who are used mightily by God do fall. Saul wasn't dim-witted. He wasn't an ignorant man. He was stubborn and he was selfish. And you know, one can know the right thing to do and tell others the right thing to do, but refuse to do it yourself. That's possible. Now, the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. Who anointed Saul? The Lord. Who picked Saul? The Lord. Who you saw? The Lord. So, does that happen? It does. But that charade cannot last forever. Because even though God is gracious and he gives us space to repent, if we don't, eventually he has to do something. Saul, he could have had an amazing impact upon his nation. He had endless potential, all of the Lord's backing. But his life is so up and down because he never established in his heart that he would follow the Lord. He had an unstable heart because he never established in his heart that he was going to follow the Lord. So my exhortation to you as we close this out is this. Let's be those who do establish our heart, in our heart, that we will follow the Lord. Amen? Let's not be double-minded and therefore unstable in all our ways. 
Let's be those who humble ourselves, who submit to God, resist the devil, and receive his grace so our hands can be cleansed and our hearts can be purified. Because God promises that if we'll draw near to him, what will he do? He will draw near to us. Well, Lord, here we are. You know everything that's in our minds, everything that's in our hearts. You know everything we've struggled with. And so, Lord, we do not want to be those who resist you. We don't want to be prideful. We don't want to be arrogant. We don't want to be selfish. We don't want to be stubborn. Our desire is just to submit to you, to draw near to you, to resist the devil, and to receive your grace. So, Lord, will you protect every man and woman in this room, including myself, from ourselves? Would you heap upon us grace upon grace as we just submit ourselves to you? Because, Lord, we can't do it without you. Lord, your servant Paul said that if we live after the flesh, we'll just wilt away, we'll die. But your beautiful promise is that if we mortify the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit, we're not on our own, but by your Spirit, we'll live. And Jesus, we want that abundant life that you promised to us. We don't want any skeletons in our closet. We want to be those, Lord, that are blameless. Lord, that we might shine as lights for you, not just for a few years, not just for a few moments, but even long after we're gone, should you tarry. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.